Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett, I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you through another show with a wonderful guest, Michelle Weiss, who is General Secretary at Danone. Michelle, welcome to the show, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good to have you with us. And we have Frank Washcott with us, who's our uh, Executive Editor and... uh, off your sick bed, it's fair to say, Frank. But so I would never miss the podcast. No, exactly. Yeah, so I'm happy to be here. Without you. Yeah. We'll go through some of the big uh, topical news stories with Frank. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Ray Day has got a new gig, and it's not at Nissan, despite my prediction a few weeks ago. That was half tongue in cheek, by the way, in case anyone takes it seriously. The impeachment and the State of the Union and the Iowa caucuses all got. Big reputational and optics uh, elements to them. And we'll, we'll talk about Publicis's earnings, the start of the full year earnings reports uh, to finish off the show. But Michelle, we'll talk to you first. You've got a really interesting role at Danone, um, which, by the way, is the largest B Corps in the world. So we'd, I'd love to find out a bit more about that. But your role is General Secretary, and you are, you've risen up the comms ranks so that you were at Mars for 10 years. Um, and you're overseeing comms, but also a lot of other parts of the function of the, the business unit. So tell us a bit about your role, and then maybe let's talk about Danone being the biggest B Corps in the world. Yeah, sure, of course. So um, General Secretary is always an interesting title because people really don't know what that means. Um, you tend to find it more in Europe than you do in the United States. But under the umbrella... Um, that I have currently, you will find the departments of uh, communications and corporate branding, of course, community affairs, sustainable development, scientific affairs, government and public affairs, security, legal compliance and regulatory and scientific affairs. It's an unusual mix. But if you think about like from a crisis and issues standpoint, um, you know, these are all of the important pieces in being able to effectively manage a reputation in a situation. Um, and Com seems to have a new role um, in a lot of different places on leading the pack because it it touches so many pieces of the business that it tends to pull things together in a wider perspective. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot on the show. It's almost like there's different analogies. It's like the liquid that runs through it. It's the glue that holds it together. I like connective tissue. It's the kind of connective tissue that brings everything together. But it's great that comms is playing that role, whereas in the past maybe it was just the place where you went to get the press release written or to promote something. How have you seen that develop over um, your career, and, and, and what are the advantages of, of having that oversight over lots of different parts of the function as well? as comms. Yeah, I think that um, you, with it being the connective tissue that you talk about, um, there there tends to be a more balanced outlook um, because comms tends to be in so many different places that it doesn't usually view things from one side or another, except for the lens of what does the audience interpret from whatever the situation happens to be. So I find it a very balancing um, position to take into account both the business needs, the legal needs and the stakeholder needs and um, employees and consideration as well. So um, the balance is important. I think um, for all of us communications professionals, the thing um, that 
either makes or breaks that is really the business acumen that our discipline brings to the table. And more and more, I see that um, the communications practitioners have have really taken the time to to learn all aspects of the business because that's really um, the difference in the effectiveness of what they bring to the table. Tell us about, do you ever get a conflict between, because obviously legal and PR don't always think exactly the same. The PR folks might be wanting to talk about something and uh, the general, I think it's generals council, the plural. Um, they might be wanting to do something a bit different. Have you ever, how do you manage that dynamic between the, those two areas? Um, I've certainly been in places where there has been a conflict, but I think, you know, there's always mutual respect at the table. And it really just depends on the business outcome that you want and the amount of risk that the business is willing to take. And so I find that um, more and more people are open minded and flexible about um about how they approach the table. So as long as everyone agrees to what the end outcome is, I find that it's a lot easier to take a look at the end outcome and how you get there versus starting from the problem and then figuring your way through the tunnel. Yeah. So, yeah. You've hired some some interesting people. Gemma Hart, you brought over from AB InBev to work on your comms team. What are the sort of skills you're looking for in a comms practitioner in this new world where communications is having much more of an influence across the business? Right. Uh, Gemma's brilliant. We've known each other for a really long time, probably more than 15 years. And um, I've always admired in her, her financial acumen and the fact that she understands business really well. Shareholder management is important to many public companies, and it's a big part of the impact and value that communications professionals bring to the table. It's that intangible value um, that can balance out sometimes um, the dollar. So when there's a lack of confidence that might come from shareholders, as long as the communications um, is accurate and can balance out and add um, some perspective to the other events, then it sometimes can um, help explain the picture a little bit better than just the numbers in themselves. So I think it's an important role that communications professionals play. Yeah. Now, Danone as a company, first of all, am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Secondly, <laughs> um, it's probably a little bit better known in Europe, but but the brands are really well known. So tell us a little bit about the brands um, and its positioning in North America and also its B Corp status. Sure. So um, Danone is an amazing company and I am very proud to be a part of it. When I was taking a look at the position a year ago, um, one of the things that was really attractive was the was the heart and the purpose of the company. So the the vision is, you know, is we take a look at it as one planet, one health. And this is one of the companies that really takes to heart the role that it plays um, in how it affects society. The decisions that are made are truly societal and the business um, model that they have is, and this um, dovetails into the B Corp thing. The business model that they have balances profit and purpose better than many of the other companies that I've seen. So, um, you know, there are definitely concessions that need to be made for the long term, but in the end, um, you know, there's always a balance that has to come between the profit and the purpose. And this company does it better than than most, for sure. And which brands would uh, the listeners know best uh, in the Danone portfolio? Uh, well, 
we are definitely best known for our brands. I mean, Evian is is quite um, <laughs> prominent in the water category. We have the silk brands, so silk, all of the plant-based milks. We have a new silk almond yogurt that is delicious. You can throw berries and granola and everything else in there. It's a fabulous non-dairy breakfast. Um, Horizon is also an organic premium milk. Um, being the mom of three, the new Growing Years product is something that's always a staple <laughs> in my house. Um, Stoke is a new up-and-coming um, uh, coffee drink that lots of younger consumers consume but you know I, I definitely have it in my house though I'm not younger <laughs> I like to pretend so it makes me feel younger um, but it's absolutely delicious and then um, International Delight Creamers are also a, a fabulous addition to the category with their seasonal flavors it always makes every occasion fun and we had your North American CEO at our conference last year the Purpose Conference and he was talking about encouraging more companies to be come B Corps because Danone is the biggest B Corps in the world but actually his ambition is to not be the biggest he wants more and more companies to do it just tell us a little bit about the B Corps status and also why it's important for you know more companies to do that right um, the B Corp status is is prestigious in itself I mean it is basically making a legal commitment um, towards the purpose entities and societal and, and environmental entities um, and interests um, in addition to the shareholder value and the profit that most companies bring. So um, you do have to qualify for it. Um, and um, it's not easy to attain, but we are definitely looking for other companies that are larger than us to join us in the movement to move towards um, helping the world become a better place, both in the both in the planet, the society, the health. Um, there's lots of different categories that um, that you have to surpass the hurdles for, but it's certainly well worth it in everyone's quest to make a difference. Yeah, because we saw the business roundtable statement last year about putting purpose on a, on a similar footing to shareholder value. It feels like be, being a B Corps is actually making that formal commitment from the start anyway. Um, purpose in business, it seems to be coming the norm. It certainly was a big topic at Davos, and we've seen all these announcements. But what we also need to see action, don't we? And it, it needs to go beyond the talking to action. So how do you get that mentality and mindset to go beyond? What does the business roundtable need to do next, for in, instance? That's a, obviously a trade body for the, some of the biggest corporations and CEOs in the world. Of course. I think that every individual company has different ways that they can impact this. Um, for Danone, one of the ways that we take a look at is soil health, for example, um, and really the carbon footprint of, um, of dairy. And so, um, you know, we're doing our best to be able to um, be carbon neutral or carbon positive in as many areas as we can. It's, a, it's given what we do for a living um, with yogurts and everything else, um, it's an area of opportunity. And I think for every company, for them to take a look at the biggest area of impact that they can make, 
um, and then make that commitment to, um, you know, even if it's baby steps in moving um, towards that direction, every little step counts. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the big themes at Davos was climate change and its impact and packaging and things like that. And one of the advantages of being there is that you could be there with all the other CEOs. So, And there was people talking to each other you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Pepsi and Coke are talking to each other about packaging. And I'm sure you're involved in those sort of discussions behind the scenes as well. That partnership working seems to be key to getting some of these big objectives like the sustainable de- development goals done. So how can you, how is that uh, impacting your day-to-day at uh, Deneau? Well, I mean, I'm very, very lucky in the fact that I work for a CEO that's a convener that has a deep-seated belief in doing what's right and doing what's good. Um, and so to be able to work for a man like that is a privilege. Um, because you do feel like you come to work every day with a purpose. And he's very consistent um, in his beliefs on actually moving the needle so much so that he started several coalitions uh, of CEOs to move um, the needle, particularly on climate change uh, in, in other areas as well. So I think that um, what's even more amazing is the entire management team behind him has the same belief and commitments. And Mariana, who you all have met, um, who is the CEO of uh, North America, um, can walk the talk as well. It's not like we give him a ton of message points and he just repeats them. He has the knowledge, the expertise, and the belief to really make things come to life. Yeah, and it feels like the CEOs and senior execs have got a big part to play, and, they, and, and that's a communications thing, isn't it? Both to staffers, to consumers, and also to um, investors and uh, shareholders. So uh, they do have to be communicators as well, whereas maybe in the past they were not as comfortable doing that part of the role. How do you sort of um, make sure they, you know, they put their best foot forward, as it were? I think, you know, education is a big piece of it. And I think that's what communicators bring to the table is that larger perspective of what's going on in the marketplace. Um, It's a unique role that we play, keeping an eye on both internal and external pieces. And then ensuring that from a competitive standpoint, um, the right business people are apprised of all of the different pieces that are going to impact your business. And so as changes happen in in the external world and and taking a look at the engagement of your internal employees, having your finger on the on the pulse of what's going on is really important. Yeah. And finally, what's the one thing you'd like to see in the business world over the next 12 months to push this purpose agenda forward and really start moving the needle? Uh, you know, I'm really relieved to see that after the business roundtable announcement, so many companies really started to focus on results. I think there was a lot of chatter about, you know, okay, people are making these commitments, but we haven't seen results. And I think that people have made an earnest effort to start moving in that direction. So it's hopeful, optimistic, and positive. Sounds good. Look forward to hearing more about it and uh, tracking that progress over the next 12 months. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Frank, let's uh, get into some of the big news stories of the week. We obviously started with the Super Bowl on Sunday. Um, That was a good good game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a good game. It was kind of... uh, I mean, it was kind of nice not to have the Patriots involved for a change, wasn't it? You're yes. telling me. Yes, I'm sorry about that, Patriots fans, but, but there was a lot of buzz. Well, it was good for everyone. Yeah, it was a good game, uh, great halftime show. 
Yes. Um, there was some interesting advertising, as always, and then some interesting stunts or activities around it as well. What was what stood out for you? Uh, you know, I think the buzz going into it was that um, whether or not Planters was going to go through with uh, killing off Mr. Peanut, which they did, and that was sort of a bizarre commercial resurrecting him as baby Mr. Peanut, which was uh, weird. Yeah, that, that, the scope of involvement of the Kool Aid Man is is truly yet to be determined. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was a bit, a bit of a strange commercial. But there's always a few that are a little out there and a little wacky. And um, uh, you know, I I think in the end, going forward with it, was probably the right decision. Yeah, it felt like a lot of the uh, there was not so much. Although ironically, obviously there were a couple of high-profile political ads, one from the president and one from Michael Bloomberg. But actually, there wasn't so much uh, worthy cause-based advertising as maybe there has been or pre it's felt a bit preachy for a couple of years yeah it was it was a bit more fun and um one thing i should say is that uh, we didn't really talk about the nfl as a brand but um suddenly you see all of these bright young stars the nfl has on being showcased in the game on sunday two really young quarterbacks who are they're still improving really um, who will be playing for years? Um, so it's it's good for the NFL as a brand too. Yeah, that's true. There's a, there's some of the old stages are sort of exiting, yeah. and uh, the new there's Lamar Jackson coming <clears throat> up as well, isn't there? And um, what about Impossible Foods? They did some interesting stuff. What, what yes, and we had a bit of a behind the scenes story on Impossible Foods about how they were targeted during the game by a uh, nonprofit organization that is very pro. Uh, Regular meat, pro-traditional meat. And uh, so what they did was once they got noticed that this ad was coming out on Friday, they they got their staff together on Saturday and and on a low budget shot a response ad that they could post on the web. Uh, So, you know, it, it really shows you. Uh, the kind of attitude that these smaller uh, startups have and that they, they get things done really quickly, small budget if they have to. I liked the Jeep ads. That was the Jeep ad was very my good. favorite. Yeah. It's kind of played into the fact that it was Groundhog Day. Yeah. And it was, you know, really tailored to the, the day. And uh, I think I'd have to agree with you. I think that was my favorite well, as well. Go. That was that's terrific. A, that's the first. That's so terrific. That's good. <laughs> Michelle, what's your take on it? You know, you work for big brands. You work for Mars. You know, you work for Danone. Um, do you go all in and spend the big bucks and get that once in a once a year presence, or do you try and play around the edges? What's the what's the strategy, or what do you think of it? I, I've seen both. I mean, Snickers, M and M's. I've definitely been involved in many of the you know prior to kickoff um, occasions. So I have that Super Bowl experience of the the big lights and the ad meter. Um, but I do have to say, I admire the smart and scrappy. This year, Danone did a great glutes commercial. <laughs> For Oikos. Um, and, you know, those types of activations are clever in themselves because they don't spend the money, but they also get um, quite the buzz as well. So the Impossible Foods piece I thought was brilliant, um, you know, with the spelling bee and sort of the mockumentary type tone was really cute. Um, the fact that they pulled it together so quickly um, and got it out was um was a feat in itself. I, I can't imagine what it took to get that together, but kudos to them for like really thinking on the ball. Yeah, you've got a lot of real-time marketing teams set in there and, and with some lawyers in the background, I'm sure, you know, just sort of making sure that what you do is, is going to be legal or passed. And uh, it's very, very creative. The other good thing, I suppose, was the game went right to the finish, didn't it? So yeah. if you've got a blowout game that's over by the half, then the ads in the second half don't always get as much. 
much attention. Um, although, you know, there's always ads that probably don't get shown because they might be planning for overtime or whatever. My big question to you, Frank, is to finish this segment is why do they give the trophy to the owner and not the players? Well, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know when that tradition started in American sports, so I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of the World Cup, you know, yeah. iconic images of Pele holding it up, Bobby Moore, you know, um, great players, right? It's about the sport. It always feels weird to I, me. I don't have a good there. answer for you. I don't know when it's starting. Uh, okay, maybe it's a European versus US thing. Um, yeah, it was great It was great fun, actually. And uh, I like the ads where the kids, for the NFL, like the 100th uh, iteration yeah. of the Super Bowl and uh, all the kids ran well it's not, it's not the 100th Super Bowl but it's, it's the 100th NFL season got it so the, the NFL existed before the Super Bowl for like 40 some years this is a bit like the Premier League and then the old First Division uh, it, this would take a long time to explain yeah, but so yeah, I, yeah. But uh, I like the fact that the ads aired and then the kids came running on the pitch it was a good ad. I thought. Yeah, it was right. a good ad. Anyway. Uh, all right. <coughs> Ray Day, who uh, we know from Ford and then at IBM, and uh, he uh, left IBM a few weeks ago, but he's got a new gig. Yeah, and it's it's a big role, too. So he's going over to the Stagwell Group, uh, which is uh, – so he's going to be the, the vice chair of marketing and communications agencies. So he's working across agencies at Stagwell, uh, but he's also going to serve as the chair of Targeted Victory, which, of course, is a public affairs firm. Uh, in DC, so uh, he is boldly saying, uh, "I want to create the future of communications in the new role, working um, working across the agencies at Stagwell." Now, uh, of course, Stagwell is Mark Penn's uh, holding company um, that has bought up a number of uh, uh, agencies over the past couple of years, including taking an interest in Fin Partners. Yeah, Finn Parnas has got Observatory in there, mm. which is Jay Goodman's... Uh, SKD Megabyte. Uh, SKTK, great, great firm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess they know each other well from uh, Ray's days at Ford because um, Mark used to run Versa Master. Versa Master was a big supplier to Ford, so they, they clearly knew, knew each other from there. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Ray does in the uh, agency world. Yes. Very different to the client side. And, uh, and a big uh, role. A big role in an interesting yeah. place, so yeah. we'll see. Have you done the agency side? You no, did I have. Consulting, didn't you? I've spent the middle decade, I yeah. guess, of my career on the same side. And it certainly gives you an appreciation when you're in-house of what everybody goes through on yeah. the other end. So I would say never take all of that work for granted when you're on the client side. So do you treat your agencies more nice, nicely now that you're back in, on the <laughs> client side? I think old age has probably softened me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how Ray does. Congrats on getting back in. And uh, yeah, well, look, it's been a busy week on the impeachment or lack of impeachment front, the State of the Union address. What, what did you make of all that, frankly, optics of it, the non-handshake, it's, the it's, tearing up of the speech? It's the hard gestures. to know where to start. It is. You know, it's I mean, it's you know, if you want to get to the, the tearing up the speech or the non handshake, it's, it's obviously petty from both sides. Um, you know, um, we're as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, the, the president was just doing what you can't quite call a press conference. He's just sort of uh, at a microphone going on, Riffing. and I think he's still going. I is think he, he's been going for about an hour or so. Or is he sort of no, no, no. He's in the the east room, so the you don't have the whir of the helicopter behind him this time but uh but yeah he's been thanking people and you know calling the other side 
evil and crazy and stuff. Yeah. He's, he's still going. So, um, I mean, look, he was never going to be impeached, wasn't no. he? Because uh, it would have... One, Mitt Romney came over, but it, it was going to take more than that to... Uh, but to that, that's the thing I think a lot of people are watching going forward, is, is how much abuse is Romney going to take in the months going Quite forward? Quite a lot, just by the last couple of yeah, days. So. Yeah, he's going to be, have to be strong in that front. Uh, interesting that uh, the New York Times actually put its uh, results out today. Uh, or the, uh, as it's known now the failing New York Times, but it's actually posted record financial results. So I don't know what's uh, what to make of that. Maybe it's not, maybe it's actually been quite successful. Yeah, and you know I I think that everybody remembers that New York Times Digital Future report that they put out a couple of years ago, and it's good to see a big media company throw the resources at modernizing and and bringing in people who are going to do new and interesting things and cover things in new ways. So. Um, it's good to see that they are getting results out of that, financial results. Yeah, it's interesting that whilst the president uh, takes every opportunity to put the media down and, um, you know, uh, left, um, CNN reporters were not allowed to cover an event this week, were they? They're actually all doing really well out of this because yeah. it's, it's been good for their business. So it's kind of ironic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and then we had the Iowa caucuses. Um, that didn't play very well for the Democrats, did it? Let's just no. And look, you know, to to interject, a, you know, a bit of opinion into this. I mean, it's just it's such a dumb way of picking a nominee. And or and I'm, apologies to anybody from Iowa that takes great pride in this. And I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just it's a really outdated way of picking a nominee where you see people rushing from one end of the gym to the other because their candidate didn't hit the 15% threshold. And it's it's truly there has to be a better way of doing things, but not necessarily counting the votes by an app, yeah, which then work. didn't yeah. work and <laughs> thus yeah. launched a bunch of conspiracy theories in the process. But it looks like it looks like Bernie Sanders and Pete, uh, Pete Buttigieg are, are, are basically neck and neck as we go over 90%. Yeah, it, of the it, returns coming. It, it, it's uh, it does. I mean, it, it is an interesting system, and um, even though people say that they should stop the you know such focus being placed on two states to to kick the whole thing off, um, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't. It, it would be better if the first the first in the country primary or caucus was in a, a bigger, more diverse state, in my humble opinion. Anyway. But anyway, good news for Buttigieg, because uh, that was not really expected, was it? Yeah, and, and he uh, had been flagging a bit in the polls in the past couple of weeks. So. And Joe Biden, see, it does seem to be suffering from, frankly, a lot of the negative... Um uh, he does, yes. And around him and his son, you know. He, and it does appear to be getting to him a bit. But um, I, I think the thing to watch in the coming weeks is what happens in New Hampshire. And then does – I think it's pretty much a sure thing that, that Biden is going to stay in at least through Nevada and South Carolina. But then what, what does Warren do if she can't win one of the first two? Yeah. So, uh, Michelle, from a corporate point of view, you know, companies are being asked to maybe take more of a stance on social issues, political issues, um, and make statements. But on the other hand, there must be a temptation to just think, well, I'd rather just not get involved and fly under the radar here. How do you sort of approach that from a corporate point of view and from a communications point of view? I mean, from a corporate point of view, I think it's always important for a company to stick by its purpose, right? What, no matter what's going on out in the marketplace, you don't switch sides or you believe in what you believe in and you stay true to that core. And so, 
Um, I think that's important as taking a look at the role of corporations, you stand up for whatever it is that your purpose um, drives you to be. I mean, what will be interesting in the future in the next few months is, you know, given the given the incidents of the last few weeks, what have we learned from this? And is anything going to be done differently in the next couple of um, occasions? Yeah. Um, and it's the, the thing I sort of notice being a, an outsider and being from the UK is how long this whole thing takes. It's just like you almost, it's almost like an 18 month run up, isn't it? And well, it, it is an 18 yeah. month run up when you consider how long the, the campaigns are established in Iowa. Yeah. It is. And, um, you know, you, you end up being in constant campaigning mode, don't you? So it's, 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 it's like a never ending reality TV show. We're all playing little, little, little parts in. Um, okay. Um, let's end with the publicist earnings. Frank, they weren't very good, were they? Let's yeah, be it's, a, it's an inauspicious start to earnings season. Uh, so Pulisic, of course, is the owner of the PR agency's MSL group and CAC CNC. Uh, Q4, uh, Pulisic as a whole was down 4.5% in terms of organic growth. And for 2019 as a whole, it was down 2.3%. So um, this is, of course, the year where they have brought in data specialist Epsilon, which uh, their CEO has set a weight on the earnings a bit. Um, and he seems to be a bit optimistic going forward, but the numbers don't quite the numbers are not quite where they want them to be in the fourth quarter and all of uh, 2019. Yeah, Pumas has invested a lot in technology and um, uh, not much talk of Marcel anymore, no. is there? That AI platform that they spent a whole sort of uh, you know, year yeah. investing in and actually stopped And took can off yeah, to, that's right. to focus um, on Marcel. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting that, that they're not talking about that much anymore. Um, Michelle, from your point of view, when you're looking at agencies these days, and, and I'm sure you've worked with a lot of the holding companies over the years, it's, it seems to be changing what clients are looking for. And I don't know, it's, it feels to me as if some of the holding companies are having trouble getting their heads around what is required now because they've, they're set up to provide advertising, media, PR, digital research. But actually, that stuff's all integrating, isn't it, into one piece? And, and you're looking at bringing some of it in-house. Uh, and there's lots of trends. How do you see that environment? Well, it's certainly integrating. And I do think that the companies are shifting to um, to enable clients to have one point of contact that pulls it all together for them, which makes it a lot easier to digest. Um, and it also changes the practitioners on the other side. I think what, what really drives what I look for in agencies is, number one, the business acumen. Number two, the insights that they have into the audiences that we're trying to reach. And then, um, you know, finally, the, the noteworthy, newsworthy, timely and relevant, the cleverness that, um, that they bring to the table to be able to capitalize on those insights in a truly timely and relevant way. And are you asking them to change in the way they come to you because you don't necessarily want to talk to all those little bits? So you just want them to put one team together or, you know, a couple of teams? Um, usually, you know, the, well, I've had some fabulous agency partners. I thank them all. And they've come with normally one point of contact. And they um, have always sort of listened to what the business needs were and pulled it together on their side without necessarily me telling them what to do. They know more about the resources on their side than, than we do on the client side. So um, all of the agencies that I've worked with have been brilliant enough to be able to 
bring together a package that actually answers the business need. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week. It's been great chatting to you and continued good luck with the role. It's great to see a comms person overseeing such important parts of the business and long may that continue it'd be great to see more people doing that you know we talked about Stacey Tank at Home yeah. Depot we talked about um, others the guy at Miller Coors is a great uh, friend of ours and, and um, I've had a senior moment so um, <laughs> but yeah he's running the craft beer Pete Marino yeah. and great guest on the podcast as well and talking about that so yeah long may that continue great to chat to you it's Michelle. been a privilege um, Thank you. before we go don't forget about the Brand Film Awards you've got a couple of days left to get your entries in for that it's a brilliant program the festival uh, the, the big gala screening in, in New York takes place on uh, May 7th the Global Awards um, the shortlists are going to be announced uh, well the judging period starting so look out for the big event in London on the 19th of May the big night the Oscars of the PR industry March 19th in New York City I tell you what this is going to be big. Uh, we've got some news about this. I can't. I'm, I'm desperate to uh, talk about, but I can't. But it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a great night. You need to get your tickets because they will sell out. I can tell you. And uh, look out for Dashboard. It's our new launch. It's all about communications technology. And uh, Sean Zanecki has been doing some great content on that. And uh, Frank's been involved. Julianne um, it comes out fortnightly. It's it's everything you need to know about comms tech and to make sure you're making the right investment up to speed with the new tools and uh, using it smartly in your strategy and uh, the agency business report we're collecting all the data so if you haven't got your uh, (coughs) submission on the go yet please reach out to us um, because you need to start working on that we're going to commission all the profiles and all the content for that but that's all we got time for we'll see you next time on the PR week Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.